Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there, good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. So glad you're with us here on this Friday. We made it through a very long week. Now, last night, President Trump condemned the violence at Capitol Hill and urged for healing and unity here in the country. Still, there are calls for his removal in the remaining days of his presidency. Joining me to discuss this is our founder and editor-in-chief, John Solomon. Good morning, John. Good to be with you, Carrie. So tell us, what do we know most recently? We know that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says that she wants the House and Congress to pursue impeachment if Pence does not invoke the 25th Amendment. How likely is it Pelosi is saying that Trump should be removed from office for, quote, instigating this, quote, seditious act at the U.S. Capitol? She says if, if the vice president and the, cap and the cabinet do not act, the Congress may be prepared to move forward with impeachment. How likely is this? You know, I think it's unlikely. I think it's great rhetoric. It's great fundraising opportunities for the Democrats. They've been wanting to impeach President Trump since before he was inaugurated in 2017, when they had the Russia scandal, the Ukraine scandal. I think the American public would not look kindly upon it. We're only a few days away from the transition to power. It would be viewed by most Americans, even many Democrats, as a waste of time, a waste of money. I think if the president, you know, stays, uh, keeps his rhetoric toned down. He'll, he'll be able to leave office on the 20th in a regular manner. There'll be a peaceful transition of power. And Joe Biden will be president at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th. And so in terms of the, the cabinet, so I did a piece. I spoke with a member of the president's cabinet. And this cabinet member said that, quote, we are not doing it and says that the president wants to have a smooth transition. So the likelihood of this happening, at least from a cabinet perspective, seems very slim. We also had two cabinet members resigned, Betsy DeVos and Elaine Chao. This seems the numbers of cabinet members who might have been willing possibly to go along with this said they would rather resign than go along with it. But they, they didn't specifically mention 25th Amendment, did they? Uh, no. And, and I think at the end of the day, you know, there was some early discussions on the night uh, of the attack uh, where some people raised the idea, mostly because Congress had raised it. But my reporting indicates that Vice, Pre uh, Vice President Mike Pence, uh, the remaining cabinet members don't have the appetite to do so, nor do they see the reason to do so. What they're trying to do is just keep the government in an orderly fashion, hand off power on January 20th. And quite frankly, it's less disruptive and, and government runs better when there aren't all these crises around. So my uh, my reporting indicates that despite some early discussions on Wednesday night that uh, there hasn't been any further talk of it. And uh, it's a mostly a dead issue, except for politics. It's open for politics and for the news media.
So, Secretary, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson just said on NPR News, he said that part of why he thinks Joe Biden is not pushing for impeachment and a push to try to remove, because first of all, it would be very difficult to accomplish this in such a short timeline. You'd have to have 60 votes to even proceed on, on whether or not to look at this in the Senate for removal. And then you'd have to have two-thirds of senators to vote to remove the president here with two weeks before he'd leave office anyway. So, Jay Johnson, who worked for Obama, said that he thinks this could actually be worse politically for Biden if Democrats were to proceed with this. So given that backdrop, why would Nancy Pelosi keep saying this? Well, listen, uh, she's been saying it since uh, 2016. And, and uh, the Democrats have always had this pipe dream of impeaching him and, and undoing the will of the American public. Uh, it's just not going to happen in this time frame. You know, a more likely scenario is they might be able to pick off enough Republicans to get a resolution of sanction, a resolution of condemnation of the president, try to link his speech uh, midday Wednesday to the violence that followed it at the Capitol. Uh, that could be a fallback position. So you started your extreme position, you fall back. Some people I've heard on the Democratic side say that that's an option they may fall back to next week. But right now, the president has clearly given a gracious statement. He's finally conceded, as he said he would, if the Congress certified the election. And uh, I think a lot of this is political posturing much more than real constitutional crisis. And we heard word that last night an officer who was reportedly hit over the head with a fire extinguisher, a Capitol Hill police officer, has perished. Officer Brian Sicknick um, is dead. This brings the death count. There were two killed in violence and three who had medical conditions reportedly. So five deaths around this whole event. Does this basically, what does this do to Donald Trump's future career politically? Does he have any chance of running again? You know, it's a great question. Uh, history will tell us. It's too early to tell in the fog of war. This was an enormously tragic uh, incident. Five lives that didn't need to be lost were lost. Uh, there was no basis to storm the Capitol to create the criminal conduct that occurred that day. Those people who did so not only embarrassed themselves, they embarrassed an entire nation in front of the world, but they will be brought to justice, and I suspect in the most severe of terms. And uh, they will be made an example so that future people who think this is an appropriate way to protest will get a very strong message. No one that I know of on the Republicans, on the left, on the right, in the center, thought this was a good idea. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, uh, Donald Trump's legacy will be defined probably much later than the next few weeks when all emotions are high. It's going to take some time to understand how the American people look at him post-president. Also depends what he's going to do. I think a likely scenario is he'll go create a super PAC. Uh, and, and sort of continue his political movement by betting down on candidates he believes supports the America First agenda. I think that's where Donald Trump goes in the short term. But history will tell us six months, a year, two years from now, how much of his coalition stays together and how much support he has in the American public. So in terms of the Republican Party, the or just the association, a lot of conservatives, when they saw what happened on Capitol Hill, they said, this isn't me, this doesn't represent me, but Democrats and liberals are going to be more than happy to associate that. So what's the path forward for conservatives who say this, this isn't what I stand for? You know, I remember back to August 2016, right after the Blue Star controversy and the Mexican judge comments, and everybody said Donald Trump was dead in the water, and, and two and a half months later, he won the presidency. Americans look at the big picture. They're able to sort emotional moments like this. This is an emotional and a tragic moment. It's a historically tragic moment. It's very emotional. 
But Americans tend to make their decisions months afterwards after they've taken in all the information and let the dust settle. And, you know, Democrats are going to try to stick this event on every Republican, whether they if they ever said anything supportive of Donald Trump, they're going to get painted in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel yesterday. There were these very difficult editorials on Senator Ron Johnson, uh, including people who previously endorsed them, also wrote uh, tough editorials. There will be an effort to link these people. But I think at the end of the day, people make their decision on the policies, the person themselves, uh, not the president of the party that uh, brought him there. And I think by two years when the next election is up, uh, there'll be a lot of other issues that'll be turning this election than this horrible day that we just witnessed two days ago. All right. Well, folks, stay with us. We've got more with John Solomon, our founder here, talking about the reckoning and the lessons of the 2020 elections. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield here again with our founder, John Solomon, the editor-in-chief of Just the News as well. Hey there, John. Good to be back. So you had a great smart piece uh, with an analysis, the headline, How the GOP Lost Control of Washington and What Comes Next. So your analysis, you looked at how Democrats own the narrative and the rules of the 2020 election. Will the Republicans learn from it? What do you think? Well, I've been a lot of reaction to it. I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, and before I did this story, I talked to more than three dozen you know, thinkers and activists in the Republican side saying, how do you come back? It's 1993 again. Do you have a Gingrich-like revolution in 1994? Or do you lay cower and, and curse the darkness that you feel right now? And I think most people are thinking they're ready to go back and reset the rules. They see lots of optimistic things that occurred in this election. Donald Trump brought out the largest number of Republican voters in American history between 75 and 80 million. Several House seats were won back in a year when people thought it was going to be a landslide democratically. Uh, the Senate is split evenly 50-50. The Republicans fared much better in a year when they had very tough map to defend, a very tough map. Uh, I think uh, the number one thing you will see conservatives do is attack the rules that were changed in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia uh, that were done without the consent of the legislatures. Things like uh, universal mail-in ballots, being able to fix a ballot if you're an election official, being able to take $350 million from Mark Zuckerberg and give it to the election judges on the front lines. I think you're going to see the Republicans press those legislatures to reclaim the rules, reset the rules, recalibrate the rules, bring election processes back to where they were in 2016 and 2018. I think that'll be the number one line of defense. And then I think the second thing that conservatives seem committed to do is to build their own information in infrastructure. For too long, they relied on Twitter and Facebook. They got nowhere. They are now in the process of building these new and exciting platforms where they can amass the same tens of millions they used to have on Twitter and Facebook before the censorship wars began. Sure, and you talk about some of these platforms, things like Cloud Hub, uh, things like Parler. But here's my question on that. Does the country risk becoming more polarized because of echo chambers that could be created here, that things would become even more divided, basically, because you're just all agreeing with each other? And is this a problem? Why don't Facebook and Twitter see this as a problem that if, I mean, even commercially for them, too? 
Well, right now it isn't a problem because it doesn't affect their bottom line. But if tens of millions of people or even millions more people migrate off their platforms and onto new platforms, their own stock uh, owners and investors are going to become concerned because at the end of the day, they're not ideological. They're not paid on Wall Street to be ideological bastions. They're paid to be businesses that generate money. So people can vote with their pocketbook. The amazing thing about these other platforms is all the liberals and the Democrats are welcome to join as well. They're just not going to censor people. The, the insane and indiscriminate way that Twitter and Facebook has censored and quote unquote fact check stories that often are very accurate uh, has really alienated uh, not just millions, but tens of millions of Americans now. Well, and in terms of seeing how this would play out with the social media, uh, to your point, President Trump was allowed back on Twitter. I, I highly doubt that Twitter, which is a publicly traded company, is going to want to see probably their most famous user gone for good. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, uh, despite all their posturing, uh, that is a big question. And at the end of the day, the great thing about America is it's a meritocracy. And Twitter and Facebook have been fun for us for a long, long time. But there's large numbers of us. Listen, I've, I've moved to Parler a lot. I've moved to CloudHub because I, it's a principal thing for me. I haven't been targeted on Twitter or Facebook. But we, I don't believe silencing a left, a right, a center voice just because you don't agree with them. And I think the big story of 2021 will be the mass migration of millions of Americans to new platforms that represent the original America we all founded. Free speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly. That's going to be the big move in 2021. So let's talk just a little bit about Joe Biden's cabinet picks, what we know so far, because during the primary, Joe Biden was pulled very hard to the left. He made concessions on things that he had never compromised right. before. For example, abortion, he had publicly right. opposed any taxpayer dollars to be used for abortion for 40 years, for decades. And, and in the primary this in 2020, he revoked that status uh, and said that he would support it. Uh, and a number of other ways on climate change, he said he would embrace parts of the Green New Deal. And it seemed that he became a Joe Biden that uh, he, the original Joe Biden, wouldn't even recognize. That's what uh, Dick Boris told me, that uh, Bill Clinton, in his early presidency, when it was uh, Democrat-controlled House and Senate, he said, I became so liberal, I don't even recognize myself. That's what Bill Clinton said. <laughs> uh, and so uh, Dick Morris told me he thinks that Joe Biden is going to be facing this pressure to be pulled very far to the left. So, But when we look at these nominees, they don't seem that far left. So you've got Merrick Garland for his attorney general. He yeah, was perceived as a, a very and perceived as much more down the middle, very much yeah. uh, more to the middle as opposed to being a hard left judge. Uh, and that was part of why Obama had nominated him, because he thought he could get him through the Senate. Um, and then yeah. also looking at some of these others, Pete Buttigieg, when you look at the lineup who was running in the primary, Pete Buttigieg was one of the more you know, perceived as being more moderate. He's from the Midwest, from a, a more you know college town with a, a very popular Catholic university. And then, you know, just others who, you know, former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack, uh, U.S. Army General Lloyd Austin. These names are not, and Gina Raimondo from Rhode Island for Commerce Secretary. These are not hard left activists. Do you think this is going to satisfy the base? Are they going to be angry and, and want more? I think the greatest threat to the Biden presidency will not be Donald Trump. It will not be the Republican movement. Uh, it will be the fact that uh, Joe Biden will start on day one having to wear his breastplate backward because the far left will be attacking him, pushing him, antagonizing him the day he starts pursuing his natural policies. He's a mid-Atlantic centrist over 40 years. You don't suddenly have an epiphany, other than it's helpful to run it for in, a, in the election, to suddenly become massively liberal. He's going to be a more centrist. And the second he starts engaging Republicans in a centrist agenda, like an infrastructure package, which he's talked about, 
Republicans will actually feed the narrative by cooperating with him and making all of the AOCers in the world upset. I think uh, the great threat to the Biden presidency is the fact that he is triangulated between a very left party, his own centrist ideology, and the Republicans. I think he's uh, going to be looking over his shoulder a lot more than he's going to be looking at the Republican uh, enemy across the line. Well, that's interesting. Well, and, and also his labor secretary was a white male that he just named, even yeah. though he got pressure to say uh, from minority groups were pressuring also him to, yeah. to pick a, uh, an African-American or an Asian-American. He went with a white male from his own party that really is obsessed with identity politics. He says, I'm not going to play this, this game. Uh, so to your point, he could very well continue to see pressure like this. One thing Dick Morris also said was that he thinks, because now Dick Morris is a Republican, he says, I don't think the Republicans should play ball. I don't think they should let themselves be triangulated in order to keep Biden as a one-term president. But do you think this could risk backfiring if they refuse to play along and, and come on together on some of these issues like infrastructure? I think on the things that benefit their agenda and ideology, they'll engage because it also will alienate the left. And on everything that is antithetical to their current uh, wishes, they're going to fight them hard. And I think that the Republicans are in a much stronger place. I agree with Dick Morris that most of the Republicans I'm talking to are not going to give on on anything except the things that are beneficial to them to run in re-election. But Joe Biden's going to need some of those things, infrastructure, COVID aid, things like that. And when Republicans engage on that and moderate the packages, it's going to alienate the left. And uh, Joe Biden will be fighting more in his own party than he will be across the aisle. I think that's the strategy in talking to all the leaders I've talked to the last uh, four or five days. All right. John Solomon, founder, editor-in-chief of Just the News. Thanks so much. Thanks, Carrie. Stay with us, folks. We've got Pastor Daryl Scott. He's a spiritual advisor to President Trump. He spoke with the president yesterday. Let's see what he had to say. How is the state of the president spiritually? Inquiring minds want to know. We'll talk about it after the break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad that you're with us here. It's the end of a long week, a heavy week here for our country. And joining me is Pastor Daryl Scott. He's a spiritual advisor to President Trump, and he's, he's also, also the author of Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies in the Struggles for a Better Black America. He is also the host of SmackDown here on Real America's Voice, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Good morning, Pastor. Good morning, Carrie. How are you today? Doing well. So you're a spiritual advisor. Uh, you are pastor at a church. Walk us through how to process this week spiritually, because we just heard word late last night that the Capitol Hill police officer who had been injured, he'd reportedly been hit over the head with a fire extinguisher, that he perished last night. We also had the Air Force veteran, the uh, you know Trump supporter who was shot reportedly by Capitol Hill police on Capitol Hill. You have three other people who passed away reportedly due to medical emergencies, so five deaths who are associated with what happened this really tragic week this week. How would you advise these families, and just spiritually, how should our country be thinking about this moment right now? Because it's a lot of people are feeling very confused and hurt. 
Well, we see that it's a seminal moment in American history. We have an unprecedented behavior. Um, you know, and it's very, very unfortunate. The entire incidents of this week are very, very unfortunate, but I think they are simply the culmination of a process. Uh, a new paradigm of protest was established in America this past summer, that anything that you're upset about, anything that you find disturbing or that you don't care for, that you need to exercise your quote-unquote right to protest. And we saw events all summer long that were violent, but they were classified as mostly peaceful by the media, by particularly the left-wing media. And so this is the culmination. It's to the point that every time there's a gathering of people in America now, the, the concern is that it might grow violent. And the violence is in the eyes of those that are perpetrating it, is justified. And it's very, very unfortunate. You know, the Bible says, why do the heathen rage and the wicked imagine a vain thing? And it's a time for America to return to its Judeo-Christian principles, its Judeo-Christian values, to seek first, you know, the, 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 the mind and the will of the Lord, to be submitted unto a moral governance in our life, that moral governance being the Lord. And I believe that if we return to our spiritual roots, we won't have these uh, incidents like we have on this level. Sure. I mean, we saw 11 people who reportedly were perished right the week after the death of George Floyd. You had, uh, for example, David Dorn, who was guarding his friend's pawn shop, uh, was killed in a riot that was associated with everything that was happening with the race riots. You're absolutely right that these that the violence was seen throughout the summer, but that doesn't justify what happened this week at all. I mean, isn't that just kind of being a whataboutism to say, you know, full stop, what happened was wrong on Wednesday? No, because what I, what I was using that reference was to say that there's been a new paradigm of protest established in America where we're calling violence nonviolence, and we're calling civil insurrection peaceful protest. With the establishment of that new paradigm, people are behaving according to that pattern. They're, they're walking according to what they saw, and it's simply uh, behavior imitating other behavior. And as a result, this is what we have something very unfortunate like this week to the point that, you know, when we watched this past summer, when they damaged uh, national memorials and went up to Lincoln Memorial and even stormed the White House, then that showed us that there was no property sacred in America. So the reverence that this crowd should have had for the Capitol was not there. Because once again, the media, people are being influenced by the left-wing media. The media has established this paradigm of protest that says no property is off limits. Up to an right. well, the White but House and the Capitol. Absolutely. And people are walking according to that. Sure, but I mean, I guess the question is, shouldn't the right know better than that? I mean, to be pro-police, you shouldn't be hitting a police officer upside the head with a fire extinguisher. You should know better. I mean, if you believe in law and order, why is the movement behaving in a way that doesn't respect law and order? Well, you know, the one thing I, I haven't done is do a blanket condemnation on uh, the right because of that, simply because there is um, accusations of infiltration by outside groups that agitated the circumstance and the situation. And so, you know, most of the MAGA rallies that I've attended for the last four years have been peaceful. You know, when I watched uh, Trump supporters gather, uh, I don't see outbreaks of violence. I don't see people wandering up and down the street with random acts of violence. This was one event that I really believe had some outside agitation, and then it developed into a crowd mentality where some saw some behaving away and the others followed suit. But I don't necessarily know if it was, quote-unquote, died-in-the-world Trump supporters that, engaged, that, that initiated this behavior. I don't know this.
Well, we did talk with former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Carrick yesterday about this issue and also a former D.C. police officer who did say that there had been some reports of this possibly uh, occurring not only this week but also at other Trump events. But uh, here in the nation's capital, there were two massive rallies that happened after Trump's uh, loss, and they were peaceful. You're absolutely right, but still, the, the fact that the uh, this violence occurred whether or not it was just solely Antifa, but there were certainly folks who who seemed to have just pure pure, you know, MAGA interest who were also involved in it. Well, you know, Kay, I can I can understand what they did without condone. I can understand why they did what they did without condoning what they did. Um, it's almost like if a, a, a woman that killed her husband, and you say, well, it's wrong for her to kill her husband. Then you say, well, he's been beating her for five years. Okay, I understand why she did what she did. There's a sense of frustration with MAGA supporters that we've been ostracized, vilified, targeted, harassed for the last five years. I can speak of it myself. Back in 2015, when I took a group of pastors to Trump Tower, the very next day, the attacks began on my family and on me personally that haven't stopped to this day. And for the last five years, you know, the national narrative has been, if there's a Trump supporter harassed, and Maxine Waters said, uh, get in their face, resist them. It's just been one attack and one attack and one attack after another. And it reached a boiling point. It reached a crescendo this past week where, you know, people finally reacted out of their frustration and out of their sense of being wronged. You know, the protest over the summer was over a, a community's sense of being wronged. And now we have a group of people who feel that they've been wronged and they unfortunately reacted in the way that they did. But they reacted according to, once again, this new paradigm of protest that says, if you're reacted, strike back. If you're reacted, vandalize. If you're reacted, uh, resort to, if you, if you, if you react, resort to violence. Sure, Pastor, uh, real quick in the time that we have left, I, I know you got off the phone with President Trump yesterday. How is he doing spiritually as a spiritual advisor to him? What have you advised him? What is the state of his heart? What is the state of his spirit at this time? It's, it's a very dark time for our country. Yeah, right. But President Trump, you know, and I've, I've always stated that I've never seen him have a bad day. He was the same to me yesterday. He was, uh, upbeat. He was um, optimistic, and he was realistic at the same time. You know, he expressed his dismay over the fact that he genuinely believes, he and many others, that this election was stolen, that he really won. However, he's being realistic to understand that, uh, you know, I pursued all the legal remedies, and that didn't work, so it is what it is. I didn't ask him about any plans for the future because I thought that would be premature in that moment. I just let him know that, you know, uh, I'm praying for him, and, and he said he's praying as well. And once again, he was upbeat, optimistic, wasn't down in the dumps or anything like that. He was in a very level-headed state of mind, and he's in a good place. All right. Thank you so much, Pastor Darrell Scott. And folks, make sure to check out his SmackDown program here on Real America's Voice Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stay with us here. We're going to look at COVID hypocrisy across the country. Stay tuned. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're here with us. So there are many Americans, almost half of all Americans, we reported in this in one of our original polls with Scott Rasmussen, who believe that the U.S. US voters believe that public health officials have misrepresented pandemic data. We found that 48% of respondents said that public health leaders have misrepresented the data on the coronavirus since the pandemic began in early 2020. Just 34% said that health officials have, quote, reported the true facts on the issue. So that's only one third of Americans who have faith and trust that our public health officials are presenting the correct data about what's happening and everything that's affecting our lives and our shutdowns. We even saw Anthony Fauci admitting that he puts his finger to the wind, basically, and says that he will have his views on herd immunity based on public perception. So it's no wonder that a lot of people feel frustration when we see polls like this here at Just the News. Well, there's a new map if you are feeling frustrated and you want to pin it down even more. Joel Griffith, who is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, helped put together this map where you can see the COVID hypocrisy. It's policymakers who are breaking their own rules. Joel joins me this morning. Good morning, Joel. Hey, good morning. So walk us through this map. What was your guys thinking there at Heritage as you were putting this together? Well, over the past uh, year, we've heard so many anecdotes across the country of mayors, of governors, of county commissioners that have been trying to impose shutdowns on their neighbors, on their, fa on their friends, and yet they've actually engaged in behavior uh, that defies their own orders and their own recommendations. So we thought it'd be a good idea to go ahead and compile a map. And we encourage you, if you have stories that you hear of things, send it our way. But it has been absolutely breathtaking, and I would say at times infuriating to see uh, what some of these elected officials are doing. Uh, it'll make you smile, it'll also make you cringe. So walk us through some of the names of the most egregious or just the most notable that people will remember or maybe they don't know about. Uh, well, I, I think one that really comes to mind for me, having been a former resident of Chicago, is an alderman, Alderman Tunney, and that's in the Lakeview, Wrigleyville area. He owns uh, some restaurants. Well, the, the city of Chicago imposed um, shutdown orders on indoor dining, and it turns out that uh, they decided to keep their restaurant open to indoor dining. And I'm all for eating indoors. I oppose these draconian shutdown orders that are putting so many businesses um, under and, uh, and are really harming our social lives and our community lives. But if you're going to be a city official and you're gonna support a shutdown of your competitors and other restaurants, and you're gonna keep your own restaurant open, that is absolutely wrong. That's something we should all be able to agree on. But look at so many other examples. Look well, and at, we were also, uh, right, right now we're looking at footage of Lori Lightfoot we were just putting up while you're talking. Remind our viewers what she did. She's the mayor of Chicago. Well, the, the mayor of Chicago has put the city under numerous shutdown orders, um, indoor dining bans, limitations on gatherings. For a time, you weren't even permitted to go to the city beach during the heat of summer. Uh, so, but at, uh, but uh, she decided that for political purposes, she would support um, the, uh, the uh, BLM protests over the summer. Uh, but she uh, engaged in a number of political uh, rallies in support, I think, of the victory campaign for uh, Joe Biden. So it seems to me that if it's a political activity that she approves of, then the gathering is fine. 
But if you're just somebody that wants to go out to dinner or have 10 or 11 people over your house for a family get together, that's going to be criminalized. She also got a haircut, uh, as I understand it, when she was not allowed to allowing uh, the salons to be open. Let's talk about New York. Why is New York Mayor de Blasio on that map? Uh, well, most recently, uh, Mayor de Blasio thought New Year's Eve would be a fantastic time to celebrate in Times Square and have a dance with his wife. Once again, I'm all for celebrations, celebrating New Year's, getting together with family and friends. But if you're a mayor of a city and you have banned celebrations, banned gatherings, banned even religious gatherings, and yet you're going to go ahead and celebrate in Times Square on New Year's Eve, as so many hundreds of thousands of people normally enjoy doing, that is a pinnacle of hypocrisy. Of course, it's not just limited to Mayor de Blasio in New York. The governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, <laughs> he, he decided during the peak of the shutdown in New York, that that would be a great time to go to Savannah, Georgia, which is a beautiful place, all fortificationing in Savannah. But at a time when he was telling people not to travel, stay at home, don't run the risk, he decides to take a, uh, well, he might've deemed it a business trip, but it does not be mistaken, it, it was a vacation. And what about the LA Mayor Garcetti? Well, LA Mayor Garcetti has been imposing shutdown orders, bans on indoor dining, bans on gatherings, but once- oh, That's right, he said bans cancel everything. His, his famous right. line was to cancel everything. Except for when it is an activity, a political activity that he deems acceptable. And when it came to the protests, once again, he decided that was something he wanted to put his stamp of approval on in order maybe to curry political support. I don't know what his intention was, but it certainly was hypocritical. Speaking of California, Governor Newsom, why is he on there? Well, Governor Newsom, uh, once again, this uh, kind of clips close to home, being a former resident of Southern California. He has tried to ban dining across the state, shut down gyms, shut down retail stores, ban gatherings once again. And, but he decided that he would go ahead and go to a luxury restaurant. Uh, I believe it's called the French Apron, $500 a plate uh, to, to have dinner with a few friends. It's a great idea to have dinner with a few friends. But when you are shutting down restaurants and making it impossible for those that don't have means to actually socialize with people, that's hypocritical. And, you know, California is replete with examples. Uh, there are a number of Cal new California legislators that were elected uh, this, uh, this fall, and they got together for their swearing-in ceremony, and they made a big scene about being socially distanced for each other, from each other for the, for, the, for the cameras. And then guess what? They all went out to dinner afterwards, and they certainly weren't socially distanced. That's a celebratory dinner. All right, Joel Griffith, thanks so much. Stay with us. We've got Duvalier Malone, a Democrat, coming up next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield here on this Friday morning, January 8th, 2021. It's been a long week, a heartbreaking week, uh, very disappointing scenes coming out of the Capitol. But we had lots of other disappointing scenes throughout the country in 2020, scenes of rioting, scenes of violence. 
up on Capitol or up at the White House yesterday, Kayla McEnany talked about how what happened on Capitol Hill reverberated and it was seen in similar ways with violence earlier in 2020. Take a listen. Let me be clear. The violence we saw yesterday at our nation's capital was appalling, reprehensible, and antithetical to the American way. We condemn it, the president and this administration, in the strongest possible terms. It is unacceptable, and those that broke the law should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I stood here at this podium the day after a historic church burned amid violent riots, and I said this, the First Amendment guarantees the right of the people to peaceably assemble. What we saw last night in Washington and across the country was not that, end quote. Make no mistake, what we saw yesterday afternoon in the halls of our Capitol, likewise, was not that. And we also had early in this program, Pastor Darrell Scott, who said that he thinks there's a new paradigm, a new protest paradigm has swept over the country. It in no means justifies violence on either side here, but there is a very real difference here in how people are protesting. Joining me here on the couch is Diwali Malone. He's author of Those Who Give a Damn, a manual for making a difference. Good morning, Duvalier. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Gary. So uh, my colleague Daniel Payne has an article up on our website on justthenews.com, and the headline says, Black Lives Matter Boomerang, how the media flipped the script on violent protest after Capitol Hill, after the Capitol Hill riot. After a year of equivocation on destructive BLM riots, journalists appear to reverse their <clears throat> position. Now, we saw story after story in 2020 where people in the media were saying that this violence, you had, for example, 11 people die in the first week after the death of George Floyd. You had African-Americans, for example, David Dorn, a retired police officer from St. Louis. He was murdered while he was helping defend his friend's pawn shop in the wake of riots in St. Louis. So you saw violence, um, but people in the media were saying it was justified because people were angry and they felt they had no other recourse, that the system had failed them. And some on the right are saying, well, what they were doing was justified to go to Capitol Hill because they tried the courts and the courts refused to hear them, not because of substance, because of, but because of standing. So violence is violence and, and justice needs to be brought that uh, you cannot justify violence in any scenario. Why did it seem though that the media in some respects were justifying what happened with over the summer last year? I think, Carrie, we have to put this in content. What happened over the summer was we had peace, peaceful protests all over the nation. We had individuals who were not a part of Black Lives Matter movement, who was not a part of those grassroots organizations who was demanding justice for George Floyd. They used that as an opportunity to come in cities and take advantage of the movement that was going on. So as peaceful protests was going on, we had individuals who used it as an opportunity as an opportunity to ride and to steal, which was not a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. So I think we have to put that into content. When we look what happened on yesterday, Carrie, if that was Black Lives Matter movement, they're at the Capitol, moving into the Capitol, breaking through windows, there would have been another scene on, on yesterday. And so I think when we talk about this, we have to put in content that there are two justice systems in America. And we saw that so Fortunately, on yesterday, Carrie, I could not imagine African-Americans breaking windows in the nation's capital and there was nothing, no, no, no shots, no bullets, no, I mean, just no kind of defense. When we saw at the White House the day after George Floyd death, there were tons and tons of National Guards. There were fences 
all kind of protection. Where was that on, on yesterday? And so I think when we put into content, I think there's no justification for coming into the nation's capital and then also bringing a riot against the peaceful transfer of power. That's what was happening on yesterday, and that's what make our democracy so great. And so it was so shameful on yesterday. We can't even com compare the two uh, this summer, Carrie. I think it's not even comparable. Well, I, I mean, there's just no excuse for what happened on Wednesday. Absolutely. I, there's just no excuse. Absolutely. I think the, the question is, you're right, there was a breakdown in security. There were failures by Capitol Hill police, by the Metropolitan Police, by Secret Service. There was just a complete lack of competence in preventing this, uh, you know, what happened. There's also inconsistent application of what happened because you had a Capitol Hill police officer who reportedly shot and killed a young woman, but then you had other Capitol Hill police officers who were opening wide the gates and allowing people to come in. So it just seemed very haphazard. It seemed very inconsistent. But I will say at the White House, you did have people across the street who had burned a church, a very historic church, one of the, you know, a very momentous church. Presidents had worshiped at this church, St. John. Episcopal. I'm Episcopalian. To see churches from my church be burned by Black Lives Matter protesters, that tore my heart. And you did not see uh, anyone shot or killed in that protest in the summertime, but you had someone here shot and killed. And I think, Carrie, that same content, when we talk about that, it happened when the Black Lives Matter movement was out there pre peacefully protesting. The President of the United States came across to make a statement with the Bible holding the Bible incorrectly, if we will talk about it, and people got hurt that day. So I think when we look at it across the aisle, there's no justification for the different combats that we see. But I think, Carrie, the greater picture here is we have to move forth, and I think moving forth is us understanding and uh, leaders taking uh, their, their constitutional responsibility to say that this is not right. Uh, violence on either side of the aisle, and we have to unite as a country and and move forth with the peaceful transfer of power because that's what our democracy live upon, and that's what our founding fathers put in place when we came forth with the peaceful transfer of power, and it has to happen. Absolutely, Dwelly Millon, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. We want to give it a tribute to the Capitol Hill police officer who lost his life approximately around 9.30 p.m. The U.S. Capitol Police Service announced that Officer Brian Sicknick had passed away due to injuries that he had suffered during the riots on Capitol Hill. Reportedly, the officer had been hit over the head with a fire extinguisher on Wednesday and then he died on Thursday night. Reportedly, Officer Sicknick had been a veteran of the military. He had served a tour even over in the Middle East before joining the force. He was a New Jersey native, um, and he reportedly was also a Trump supporter. 
So the New York City Pol uh, Police Benevolent Associated, they put out a statement. They said, keep Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick and his family in your hearts, along with his Capitol Police colleagues. We know our federal brothers and sisters will move mountains to bring this cop killer to justice, along with every rioter who participated in this despicable attack. We send out our hearts, our thoughts, and our prayers to the family of Officer Sicknick. This is really you know, the, the continuation of a uh, difficult moment for our country. We call for peace here. We call for people to lay down their weapons, to calm their temperatures, uh, and really come together and just stop the normalization of violence. We finally saw this week the mayor of Portland admitted that by allowing violence to continue incessantly in the city of Portland that this was wrong. We're glad now after the fact this has been seen. Um, we wish all the best to the family of Officer Sicknick and we call for unity here in the country. Thanks so much.